whimsical, so unpredictable Here on the SNL Network Good evening everybody and welcome to the Saturday Night Network Roundtable For the IO Edebury episode of Saturday Night Live uh, as you may tell, I may be able to see, I am not John Schneider. I am not Chevy Chase. I am Bill Kenny. Uh, our friend John is feeling under the weather, so I'm uh, stepping in for him this evening. And I've got a great panel to talk through everything about this IO episode. Uh, let me introduce first my my friend from the Superfans episodes, Andrew Haskell. Haskell, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing great, Bill. Bill, I feel like we haven't talked since we were here to name uh, the top three greatest cast members of all time. So it's been a while. Hope you've been well. Uh, wow, is it a time at SNL right now? There's storylines upon storylines. We got an episode to discuss, but we got way more to discuss than that. So uh, just super cool to be here uh, and excited for a very, very jam-packed show. Yeah, the, as you say, there, there's going to be a lot to get into, uh, including more about an upcoming episode than we would normally get into. So a lot of fun to be had this evening. Uh, and also joining us is the wonderful Gabby Forbes Bennett. How are you, Gabby? I'm doing fantastic. Super excited to be here yet again and to talk about IO. Yeah, lots to talk about. Uh, IO was just fantastic, in my opinion. And uh, I can't wait to talk about all the different things that she did. But first, we have to bring in our newest panelist. Uh, she is a travel and pop culture journalist. Uh, Joining us for the very first time, Rachel Chang. How are you, Rachel? I am well. I'm so excited to be here. I feel like I'm meeting all these celebrities because I've been listening to all of you. So I can't believe I get to actually discuss with you guys. The pressure's on. <laughs> oh, no pressure. Autographs after the show, Rachel. Though. That's all we ask. Uh, I'll be standing at the door. <laughs> <laughs> so Rachel, before we get into everything about this episode, uh, what we like to do uh, with somebody who's coming on with us for the first time, kind of get their SNL origin story. So can you quickly, uh, in, in 100 words or less, <laughs> tell us oh, how you got into <laughs> SNL and yes. what brought you to the super fandom of watching the show? Of course. I mean, I was always a viewer, um, but growing up in an immigrant household, it wasn't really a big deal. The first episode I remember watching was Fred Savage, I think in 1990. I was a teen, teen celebrity magazine. Um, uh, like I hid them under my mag my bed. I, uh, so he was like the one on the, uh, that, that really brought me into watching the show for the first time. And then it really was the second John Mulaney episode in 2019 that hooked me and I don't know what it was about that episode that got me absolutely obsessed and I kind of dove in from there and have just been following like crazy I want I made it to the audience for um John's fifth episode the five timers club thought it was going to be a one and done and here I am going regularly to the standby line. So I didn't think I'd ever get this deep into it, but I do love it. And I think I also, the timing of the John Mulaney episode also um, was when Bowen joined. And I think just representation was a big deal too, having Celeste's voice behind the scenes and just hearing a lot of the things I never thought I would hear on such a pop culture show really made a difference. That's that fantastic. Like a thousand words, not a hundred words. Sorry. <laughs> no, please. I'd love to hear it all. Uh, that, that's a long journey from Fred Savage to John Mulaney. So yeah. that's very, very interesting. <laughs> so thank you and welcome. Uh, hope you have a good time and uh, we get to see you quite a bit on here. So, uh, so let's dive right into everything that happened this week. Uh, 
you know, when they announced Io, uh, I know she is really in the pop culture zeitgeist right now because of the bear. Uh, we've had a couple of interesting weeks leading up to Io, and uh, I wonder. We'll start with Haskell. Uh, what did you think uh, when you heard that Io was being booked? Uh, were you excited? Were you familiar with the bear or anything else that she was in? Yeah, my dog Marvel wants also uh, get in on this, so she so let's get on camera. No, I. The Bear is one of my, it might be my favorite new show of the last couple of years. Like uh, everything good that you hear about that show is so true. Like, um, so I was pumped. Um, she's also super local to me. We're the same age and we grew up like a half hour away from each other, which is crazy to me. I had the wrong friends in high school. I should have been hanging out with her. Um, and, but she has stand up background, sketch background. Obviously, if you're a fan of the show, if you're a fan of comedy, if you're a fan of sketch comedy, these are the people that you get excited uh, when they when you hear that they're hosting. So it was a uh, a slam dunk hosting choice. I was so excited uh, when I heard the news that she was hosting. Yeah, I, you and I have talked about this with with Sammy and Haynes quite a bit. Uh, you know, it's it's always this kind of host, other than alumni coming back. Uh, where with the improv background or the stand-up background, uh, you know, the Kiki Palmers, the Audrey Plazas, uh, and they end up being the banger episodes quite a bit. So uh, I, I completely agree with you. Gabby, how did you feel? Uh, were you familiar with Io as well? Yeah, so I for like I had seen her in the bear, but I haven't had a chance to really get into the show just yet. But I did really appreciate her role in Abbott Elementary. Um, as uh, the Teague sister. Um, and so that was the first time that I had really seen her on screen. And so it's nice to see that, I guess, she's really involved in this kind of comedy community that exists that I guess a lot of um, SNL cast members and writers are also a part of. So um, from my perspective, it, it seemed that she would be able to kind of fit right in. And in my opinion, she really did uh, based off of her performance this week. Um, and I am also a fan of her from the movie Bottoms that she did with uh, Rachel Sennett. That was actually, I went as her character uh, with my wife for um, Halloween oh, <laughs> um, this year. Cool. So yeah, it was, it was really nice timing. <laughs> yeah. No, it, yeah. Her, her background with the New York standup and, and things like that. I mean, in her monologue, I mean, we've gotten this over the last few years. We've talked about it so much about these personal uh, monologues that we get. And the fact that she just, you know, right from the start, you can tell that she was almost breaking up. She was so excited and so happy to be there. All these people that she had worked with in, in various forms, uh, probably in nightclubs and things like that. So that was a lot of fun. Uh, gave her this really uh, good personality going into the sketches. So Rachel, what were, what were your thoughts on Io? And uh, were you familiar with her as well? Embarrassingly, I was not. I know I need to watch The Bear because I understand Mulaney has uh, interesting twists in there. That, uh, don't tell me yet. <laughs> but so oddly, my first exposure to her was on Monday night. I happened to go to the dad comedy show that Devin Walker, Gary Richardson, and Alex English do. I oddly just wanted to see the room because I'm a travel writer and I had discovered that hotel for a project I was working on and never seen the Georgia room where they held it. But obviously I wanted to see Devin as well. And then I saw Chloe, Chloe Trost was on the lineup. So that kind of, I bought a ticket last minute and went. 
as soon as I got there, the girls I happened to sit next to were like, oh my God, look, Io's over there. And that was my first awareness of her at all. And I just thought she was watching. I had no idea she did stand up until she got up. And she was great. Actually, she was clearly testing for the monologue. Some of what she said on Monday night did make it into um, like the part about the immigrant parents. That was definitely in her um, bit or her um, in her on Monday night. And yeah, so then I, of course, went home and started watching some of her old stand up as well. Yes, she, she's a very, very funny woman, as we saw on Saturday. Uh, and I, I think what we saw the most of, and, and again, it goes back to the Kikis and the Aubreys, where, you know, they just meld into the cast. It's almost, if you didn't know, if you weren't a fan of SNL and you turned on this episode, you wouldn't know that she was the host necessarily. She fits so well with everybody in the cast. Uh, and she was just so likable. I mean, she's likable on the bear and... Uh, she wasn't as likable on Abbott Elementary, but <laughs> she she's still very charming, and uh, it was just great to see her. So before we get into the cold open, I just want to touch base with you guys uh, as far as, you know, we, we, we've had an interesting three-episode run, as Haskell mentioned. Uh, we started with the Elordi episode, which was roundly criticized, uh, and then last week was kind of mediocre. Do you think, uh, Gabby, do you think we found a rhythm? Are we back in the mode of, of good SNL episodes uh, because of IO? I will say I completely agree. I think that she fully blended in with the cast. I think that she did overall a great job. But um, as for, I guess, the episode overall and uh, my thoughts of the sketches, um, it they weren't really that... Um, it didn't really resound as much upon the first watch, but as I rewatched some of the sketches, I actually started to really love some of them. Uh, I think there's one of them here that might be, you know, top like 10 <laughs> all time SNL sketches, just in my opinion, for my tickled wow. sense of humor. Um, and so I think that, I don't know, I, I liked that she really did blend in with this. And I think that it's maybe hopefully a good sign for the rest of the season of a positive trajectory i guess we'll see what happens next week but as for right now i feel like we're uh kind of on like a safe island <laughs> fair enough rachel what did you think uh in this just in this three episode block of snl starting in 2024 do you uh were you a fan of the last two episodes uh did you think this was the best of the batch or so contrary to popular opinion, I loved last week's episode. I actually thought it was the best energy I'd ever felt. I was also undressed for that. And it was the most fun I had inside the studio. I like was dancing out of the studio. I bought the shirt, which I never do. Like I was that excited. There was just something about, I mean, Timberlake Fallon being in there together. There was just that energy. This week was weird. I'm not going to deny it. And I don't know if it was kind of right away. There was a weird energy when uh, Nikki Haley popped up and then combined when Shane Gillis's announcement. I was also sitting in a very quiet section of the audience on my own without anyone I knew. So I don't know if that contributed to it, but I had a great seat. Um, so I, it actually was probably one of my least favorite experiences in the studio. When I came home and rewatched it, I feel like it was, there were great lines, but I don't feel like there was a standout sketch. A lot of the concepts felt pretty 
I don't want to say trite, but it was very formulaic. There were tools, two school sketches, two game show sketches. The city, the town hall was kind of something we see all the time. The, the news and the parade sketch was also kind of something we see all the time. So it seemed like everything was very, it seemed like a safe episode. And the fact that IO fit in, I think is a great thing. But also, I guess the question has to be asked, do you want the host to fit in or do you want the host to stand out? So I don't know. It's an interesting point. Uh, you know, sometimes when they bring in an Alordi or a Jason Momoa and they tailor the episode just for that person's personality, I feel like that's almost, I, I don't know, that, that doesn't work for my sensibilities of the show. But certainly, I mean, there's nothing wrong with thinking that. Uh, yeah, she didn't stand out in a lot of the sketches. You're absolutely right. But uh, is that a good or bad thing? I guess we'll we'll kind of get into that, right? Uh, Haskell, how about you? What did you think uh, about this last uh, three run? Yeah, I think one of the reasons that there's a little bit of a lull is I don't know if anybody's standing out right now. There's this really good energy where, you know, nobody's really getting shut out of the episodes. It feels like a really uh, team effort. And on that sense, that's great. I love that energy. But also it feels like there is a lot of talent not being used there's a lot of specific things that they could be doing that they're not doing like i you know please don't destroy should not be getting shut out of episodes like they should be in every episode sorry uh we're not getting nearly the sort of sarah sherman energy we thought we were going to get this year she has not been allowed to go out and be sarah sherman all that much we got it on update a little bit this week but like i'm talking a real sketch tailored to her um, I've been the last couple of weeks, at least since, since they came back, like really wishing for some Chloe Tro singing. We got a little bit of it at the tail end of a sketch today. I mean, sorry, today, this week. Uh, it, you know what I mean? It's just like, it feels like a lot. It's just like middle of the season, sort of not burning anybody out, getting everybody in there, trying to keep the vibes good, I guess, as they, you know, so nobody's getting shut out, but. I wish they would take a couple of these people who we know are super talented and even if it's in very specific ways and giving them some of those sketches to really show that. Yeah, I was saying that a few weeks ago, I, that the parody is almost stunning with this size cast uh, where there isn't, you know, you say, oh, Heidi's a great performer. What what can you point to other than a couple of sketches that she really, you know, shown, as you're saying? Um, so, yeah, they're trost on such a great run right before Christmas with the singing. And then it just kind of petered out as it does happen sometimes, especially with featured players. So I do hope that as we enter this, uh, end run of the show that we do uh, of the season, that we do see more people stand out as you say. So without further ado, why don't we get into this wonderful cold open? Uh, so we open up on the CNN town hall uh, we get Punky Johnson as Gail King, Keenan as Charles Barkley for the 21st time. Kind of wrap your mind around that. And, uh, of course, J.A.J. as Trump. We get some of the similar things that you always see, the, the jokes about criminalized Biden. And, uh, and then, of course, it ends with uh, Nikki Haley showing up, a Republican nominee for the presidential. And... Uh, kind of divisive. And I, I'm interested to see what we want to talk the whole thing through the whole cold open, but also 
the idea of having someone as divisive as Nikki Haley come on and say live from New York. So, Rachel, why don't we start with you this time? Yeah, I mean, being in the studio and her popping up, I instinctively clapped. And I then I was like, oh, my God, what am I clapping for? It was I mean, it's always, there's the shock value of her appearing. And it feels like a lot of the audience went through that, even when it was on air. It's like, everybody's like, oh my God, oh wait. And it definitely felt like it was, like, I also noticed, like, Michael Longfellow during the sketch had a very distinct smile on his face. And I couldn't figure out if he was told to smile more, or if, in retrospect, he knew what was coming. And that was kind of why there was that reaction on his face. Just a side note, I love the, that he actually turned to the extra next to him and introduced himself and like shook shook his hand. I, could, I think it looked like he said, I'm Michael, which was a nice little thing to um, see that they not when they acknowledged the extras. But um, I don't know. I just felt like, yes, this was a very expected cold open, but yet had so many little like surprises that didn't quite hit right. I don't know if this made sense to anybody who saw it live, but there was a line that was cut about Longfellow's um, mechanic character. He was holding that card and reading off the card, and there was a they addressed that during the sketch. They were like, "Oh, and you have to read your question off the card," and that was not mentioned at all. And I was like, "If I didn't know that that was said, I, it would have made no sense to me. Why was he read, reading off of this card?" So that is something I'm curious about. Have everybody else read? But I do have to say one thing that I don't feel like has been talked about a lot is that Punky nailed Gail King. She was a great Gail King. And I don't feel like getting credit about oh, for that out in the greater universe. Well, there's just so much dominating craziness in this cold open that I think that you're absolutely right. And uh I, I love that. I knew they had a show together. Um I did not know it was called King Charles, which are you serious? Like <laughs> So that was interesting. I like Keenan's line with the, I wanted to call it gay bar. Uh, so, but yeah, yeah, she, you're absolutely right. She was fantastic uh, and underrated this year for sure. So uh, great to see her get uh, up front and center in a cold open. Haskell, what did you think about the cold open? Uh, the pause for me, uh, Devin's Tim Scott is, is really good. Like it's fun and, and it's kind of, you know, it's a good impression. <clears throat> In terms of these Trump opens, I am just, it's, it, I've said it every time. It's such a good impression, but I'm like, the kind of novelty of it being such a good impression is worn off on me. And he does talk in that Trump cadence. And the same thing happens. Like, if you put the real Donald Trump at a podium and he starts just kind of droning on and on and on from one subject to the other, I just tune out and the same thing's happening. I am missing so many jokes when they're doing this Trump because that cadence just kind of lulls me to sleep and I'm not listening. So I liked a little bit more that there was a little bit more interaction in the cold open. I thought the same problem they have with J.A.J.'s Trump is the same problem they had with Alec Baldwin's Trump, which is too many times to show up, stand on your mark, look into the camera monologue for a few minutes say live from new york now we're on to the monologue like how many minutes of monologues are we going to do to start a show so that's the good and the bad nikki haley it was weird yes um from a personal standpoint i don't know if i agree with anything she has to say if i'm being honest if i can 
not defend it for a minute, but just look for the positives. Um, it, you know, even though personally I have liberal politics, I don't expect SNL to be the liberal show. I don't ever want it to be the liberal show. I want it to be the pop culture, current events facing show. And that is going to result in people from both parties ending up on the show at different times. I, I think uh, it was a little bit more digestible than some of the other people that we've seen on the show in the last few years. And it's going to kill me. I do give her a small sliver of credit for that line of, yeah, that's probably what I should have said the first time. Like for her to actually come on the show when you know that a, they're probably going to poke fun at you, your base or the base of your party is going to attack you for showing up on that woke SNL. And you still showed up, you got your shots in on Trump and that I don't, Trump wouldn't have done that. Uh, you know, Ron DeSantis, when nobody, nobody else would have shown up and actually admitted like, yeah, I made a mistake on that one. You guys are right. Like, I thought it was for a brief second, a decent humanizing moment for her. Do I think it will last? No. It, it, when I woke up on Sunday, was I like, wow, I, I, I think differently about Nikki Haley. No. But for a second, I thought. Yeah, that was actually kind of a nice moment. And we are so divided in politics now. I Sometimes I do look for nice moments across the aisle. And for a second, that was one of them. Yeah, great points. I, I mean, listen, this is going back. I mean, we can wring our hands about the fact that they're letting someone like Haley come on the show. But as you say, you have to have a wide swath of people. If you're going to do politicians on the show, if you're going to have cameos, uh, whoever you can get to show up and do this kind of thing, uh, she still is part of the conversation, even though Trump is beating her in all these states. Uh, she's actually standing up to him, which you can give her the slightest bit of credit for as well. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's it's weird. But the, the show has done this for almost 50 years. Uh, from the obscure like Paul Simon, not the singer Paul Simon, but the uh, he was a Republican candidate, probably about eighth in the polls uh, in the 80s. And he came on and did a little bit. Steve Forbes hosted once and he was terrible in, in a lot of different ways. So the show has a big history of this and you either just have to kind of know it's going to happen and grit your teeth and hope that it doesn't get too political. Gabby. Let's get your ideas on the cold open. And what did you think of the Haley cameo? Yeah. So uh, the cold open generally, I mean, I feel like we've just seen this um, so often before it didn't really stand out. I think the only real memorable thing was Nikki Haley. Um, but to Haskell's point about, uh, I guess, kind of zoning out uh, during the Trump impression, I think maybe we've just reached a stage where JJ has become too good at impersonating Donald Trump that it's almost as if he's on my screen and I just don't really, you know, it it just doesn't register the way that it should, I guess. Um but yeah, the Nikki Haley appearance wasn't thrilled about that. I totally understand, you know, it's an election year and it is like, I guess, kind of topically relevant or kind of topical, but I just couldn't help but wonder like what 
who is this for exactly? Um, because I think again, her base probably this isn't going to win her any any uh, I guess favor with the people who would support her, and I think of the majority of people who are still watching SNL and haven't been turned away by the jabs at Trump also probably won't be swayed by this. So it just seems kind of, it just seemed kind of odd to me. Was it just because I guess she was in the news and she was around that they decided to invite her on? I just, it just wasn't clear to me why, why her and why now? Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, I, I don't know why it was her. Um, like like somebody said, uh, you know, DeSantis isn't coming on, Trump isn't coming on, uh, and, and but the the big point that you made there, Gabby, is that it's never going to swing an election, uh, even though the narrative has been that Trump going on in 2015 helped with him win. That that has nothing to do with it. Yeah, they did humanize him, but so did a lot of other shows. Mm-hmm. So did a lot of other networks. Um, that's not the only problem. Jimmy Fallon rubbing his hair on the tonight show had nothing to do with him winning the presidency. And this isn't going to help her either, but, uh, it is, it does get the clicks for SNL and they're going to do this for the rest of time. So, uh, you don't have to love it, but, uh, hopefully it'll be somebody that we like for the next time. (laughs) So, uh, so let's get into the sketches that we want to talk about. And, uh, we're going to start with Rachel. Uh, what sketch do you want to talk about tonight? I'd love to talk about bad couples. And admittedly, I'd love to talk about this one by default because the one I really wanted to talk to talk about was cut the please don't destroy sketch. Um, to Haskell's point, I do feel like they haven't been using them. I thought it was one of the best PDD sketches. I'm shocked it hasn't been posted yet. Um, I know it was talked about in the hot take show a little bit, but basically it was a very meta sketch about another rival group of uh, black females that was exactly a facsimile of PDD. Anyway, <laughs> to get into bad couples, um, I know that the whole parade of stars is a very common routine here. And that, it, I mean, I feel like spring, the, when they did the cold open with the um, first day of spring was kind of a highlight. That was a really solid, um, I don't know if we're calling them parade sketches or whatever they're called, or like the um, Halloween one a few years ago is another one that stands out in my head where, um, gosh, who fell down the back? There was a, that was at least two or three years ago, seasons back now. But I feel like what made this one so great was the ending. So often these just kind of trail off. And as soon as Marcelo like took that first step towards Bowen, I mean, I just fell in love with them as a couple. I want to see another sketch that's a sequel to see where that relationship goes. And then the twist of Molly's character coming in and say, hey, that's my husband. It was a husband, boyfriend, husband, I think. It was just such a great little, like, it just was like a twist, a twist, a twist, but just just enough of everything. And not, I'm not saying it's one of the greatest sketches of all time, but I feel like in this mess of couples that that um, Bowen's character keeps stumbling upon to end on his, it was just such a lovely little bow bow tied at the end and then had like a little sprinkle on top yeah I mean that's that's a great point uh, so many times with SNL we were begging for them to find a button on this on the sketches uh, especially with the parade sketches I, you know, I think it was at Thanksgiving with the 
uh, airport where it was yeah. just, it was pretty obvious what everybody, they're pretty much announcing what all of these people are before they come out. We didn't know who these people were going to be other than uh, Sarah and Keenan as the uh, prostitute and the pimp. So yeah, uh, that that was a great uh, way to do this. If you and you got all the cast in, other than Che and Joe. So uh, when you have a cast the size, you're going to have stuff like this. So uh, Haskell, what did you think of this one? Yeah, kind of, you know, stole my words on the the ending being the best part. I thought that was a great ending joke. I'm never gonna. I never think that the ceiling is too low on these parade sketches where you get everybody in, you give everybody a moment. Um, I thought it was a really good premise. I thought the execution was like a C plus. I think, you know, a lot of the ideas on what are keeping these people together were funny, but the actual jokes, I don't think landed a ton. I think it needed a little bit more than that. I think the outside of the final joke, uh, I'll coming back with her actual husband was probably the best joke in the sketch um, or that, or Keenan just saying we're something along the lines of like, I ain't even answering. We're not talking about that. That was good. Um, I think a lot of the other couples, again, the, the answers about like rent or whatever made sense, but the jokes on top of that didn't land. And I think having that nice basket of joke, 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 is what really elevates one of these parade style sketches. And this one was good. It just didn't elevate. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with that. I think uh, a lot of it was about uh, infidelity. I mean, I guess there's not a lot of different ways you can go when you're going to have this many couples come out and, and none of them can be actually in love. Uh, but I do my, my favorite part of this, I have to say, and Mikey had two of these moments tonight. He had it in the Why'd You Say That sketch. And in this one where he just has one or two lines and he kills it and he walks off and, and him coming out to it. And he, it was his sister and his girlfriend as well <laughs> and walking off. Just such a great Mikey's having such a great season. And uh, th this was just he, he doesn't have to be the center of the sketch for him to be the star. So, uh, Gabby, what did you think of, of this one? Yeah, I thought it was fun overall. You know, it, it didn't stand out too much. I do agree. I think that the the best uh, part of it for me was um, when Io returned um, with J.A.J. as her husband and just her delivery of that line to Bowen, nice to meet you right now only. I thought that was perfect. And um, I, yeah, I, it it didn't like, stand out to me but it was just those little kind of moments sprinkled in the uh keenan saying pass um in his like amazing suit um uh, that that just kind of like brought me back into it yeah and and let's give a shout out before we move on to the next sketch about Mar martin showing up and the applause that he got <laughs> being out of the pdd offices and not with the other two guys uh, it, it was kind of palpable and I wonder, Rachel, you were there. Well, I mean, did he get the same kind of response and dress? Yes. And I was both excited and like, I felt a little guilty. I was like, oh my gosh, we're cheering for him, but he is technically part of the cast kind of. And it almost took the spotlight away from everyone else going up. It just showed how, how loved PDD really is which is why I'm so mad they cut the sketch. Um, but yeah, <laughs> I mean, I'm I was trying to think back. I feel like 
Martin, I mean, uh, no, John's definitely showed up. And has Ben showed up in a sketch yet? I don't. I, I don't think believe so. So yeah. it seems like they're rotating through, or hopefully rotating through. Yeah, John had the moment in the Republican debate, and he didn't really get to say much. So, um, but yeah, I don't think Ben has been in anything. It's it's Mark- that nepotism. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. He's not so, part of the nepotures. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's uh, let's go to the next sketch. We want to talk about Haskell. What do you want to talk about this evening? Yeah, the school hypnotist to me was the uh, it was my favorite sketch of the night in the sense that I feel like it was the perfect combination of figuring out a complete sketch and taking a, a big swing. I think the I think the game shows were probably more complete sketches, but not very big swings. Those are I feel like they should be able to write those sort of sketches with no problem. Some of the other sketches of the night matter might have been bigger swings. They just didn't complete the execution. This was a, a combination of the two. Um, it was really fun. And we were talking before the show, you'd asked, you know, what did I think of the episode? And I said, I think I would have liked this episode a lot more with a little bit of rearranging on the sketches. And this was one of them. It was very late in the night. And when Io shows up as that character, I went, oh, look at that. They remembered she has like a sketch background and probably has characters. And they really allowed her to do a character. I would have really enjoyed this sketch earlier in the night and let her really set the tone by playing a character. I don't think she got to do that for most of the night. And she knocked it out of the park. Like this felt very similar to me of like having like an Emma Stone hosting who I think falls into these characters and is phenomenal. Like I think she could do the same thing throughout the night. If given the opportunity, she just didn't get it, you know? And it was, uh, you know, I, I think Dismukes playing like the straight man is always kind of funny. Like, I think he does a good job of it because he really has that like lost puppy feeling where he, he really doesn't know what to do. Like, there's a lot of times like people like Mikey Day play really good, like straight guys, but you know, they're like the adult in the room. When Dismukes plays the straight guy, it, we're all just sort of like the kids looking around, like what, what's going to happen? There's like nobody here to handle this. So that's really fun. So like I said, that was, Probably my favorite sketch of the night. I just wish it was a little bit earlier in the night. Yeah, this is when I really wish I had John's magic soundboard because I'd love to play the clip of uh, I'm not even a real freaking hypnotist. Uh, Dismukes delivery that line is just fantastic. And uh, yeah, he, he really kills it in this, as does Io. Uh, Gabby, what did you think of uh, School Hypnotist? Oh, I absolutely love this. I think Io was incredible in this in this role. And I guess, you know, like I said, I didn't really know about her comedy background, but I mean, it would explain why I thought she was so phenomenal here. Um, in a way, I I felt that not only was, you know, she playing that character Solomon, but like just the hand movements and the weird, like sort of Southern accent that I guess uh, Solomon was the only person in that classroom who had that accent for whatever reason, for like characters in and of themselves. And so it just brought me so much joy the way that she just like sunk herself into the, into the character. Um, was it the, the sacred blood of Jesus and all of that? And even just uh, moving moving her belt up and down <laughs> kind of like, I don't know. It, it just really created a, 
a nice picture. Like I, I get this kid. I don't want to hang out with, with this kid, but I'll like watch, watch them, um, sing, uh, no air <laughs> in my, in my classroom. Um, and so, yeah, that, that was amazing. Um, and it, I was not expecting, uh, I guess four people in the scene to start singing. And then when Chloe started, I thought we were going to get a little bit more, uh, but it was just kind of, you know, cut away to, to everyone just singing together. And so that was a little bit, I feel like a bit of a bait and switch <laughs> for me. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, no, it, it was, it was, uh, one of the best sketches of the, of the episode for me. Yeah, I, that, I think we were all kind of saddened by the fact that Trost didn't get to do her thing for more than a couple seconds. Uh, but let's also shout out Heidi in this. Uh, like you can tell, like she's playing. She 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 digs herself into these smaller roles and shows the actress that she is. Right where she, you can tell she's the teacher that has been putting up with Solomon all year long, and it's just kind of coming to the surface with this hypnotist coming into the room. Uh, so. Yeah, great job by all of them. Uh, Rachel, what did you think of School Hypnotist? This one was one that took a minute to grow on me. I wasn't really a fan of it at first. Um, but like you said, when Heidi first sh um, showed on the screen, I was like, oh, I, I don't know why I felt like I missed her. Like, I felt like I hadn't seen her in a bit, even though she had just, she hadn't had a, I hadn't seen her in that type of role, I guess. So it was kind of refreshing to see her kind of in this teacher role. I also feel like Solomon was a bit of a throwback SNL character to me. And I don't quite know, I don't know my eras well enough to identify exactly which era I'm thinking of. I know somebody in the comments mentioned that um, it seemed like Nassim could have played Solomon, which feels very accurate. Um, I do feel like it's kind of that era where I think this character hopefully could come back. I mean, if this was play played by a cast member, this seems like it would be a recurring character. Uh, but I also thought that Mukes, just the, I'm not even a real hypnotist, was just such a great little like <laughs> so perfect delivery yeah. at the right time. It was just like perfectly delivered. Um, and even just Keenan popping in. It's like at one point I was like, do we really need Keenan? But we always need Keenan. And just as a janitor, it just felt like such a Keenan role. It felt like we'd seen it before. But then when he got all in and started singing, I was just like, that's what makes Keenan so great. He just steps into anything. Yes. Yeah. He, he's done this. Uh, he did that last week with Devin as well, popping into that airline sketch. Uh, yeah. He was very Mr. Johnson-esque uh, from Abbott Elementary, right? Like just kind of popping his head in, doing his couple lines and, and, uh, and getting out. Yeah. Th this was, this was pretty good for me. Uh, again, I, I agree, Haskell, that this should have been a lot higher in the evening. And, uh, not really sure why it was buried so deep. Uh, Io really showed her chops here. It was very Steve Urkel-esque as well. Uh, if you know, you know. So, uh, yeah, great, great sketch. Uh, why don't we move over to Gabby and uh, see what she wants to talk about? So I wanted to talk about the People's Court. Uh, this was my personal uh, favorite sketch of the night. I think that... Um, that I, I ended up watching this like three times and picking up on different things each uh, watch through. Um, and I think that it is also just conceptually a good example of the host uh, seamlessly blending in with the cast. Um, 
to Rachel's point of whether this is necessarily a good thing or a bad thing, I think that it can vary depending on the circumstance. And so I think that it was probably a good thing that IO blended in, um, or at least in my opinion, uh, kind of felt so seamless with the cast in this sketch because it was just so wacky. And I don't think it necessarily needed a kind of standout, um, I guess, character. Uh, but yeah, everything about this was just, it just tickled me. Um, from, I, I realized upon a rewatch that uh, the uh, galley, the, you know, the people sitting and watching the uh, the legal proceedings, if they can even be called that, um, didn't react to the back of her head until she showed it to the camera, which I thought was a nice touch. <laughs> like they were shocked as well, seeing it for the first time. I thought that she had phenomenal uh, line deliveries, uh, talking about her boyfriend who is not a nurse at the hospital, but rather gets paid to give blood. Um, and of course, my favorite line would have to be that um, she, when it's windy outside, she can feel her memories <laughs> being blown away. I thought that was great, um, and and just really little like little things like um, Keenan's character pronouncing uh, Marge Simpson as Simpson and saying it twice. Like it, it was just really. I just wasn't expecting all of these little jokes, and that's what really made it fun for me. Yeah, this this was a lot of fun. Uh, this was the second time tonight that we or, or Saturday night that we saw Io and Ego's chemistry together uh, in Trivia Quest, and then in this, uh, the way they played off of each other was just fantastic. Uh, I I do love her line where she's uh, defending her Ego is defending herself and said that she saw Io at the club uh, rain down and ass up. So that that's that's the kind of line that you just kind of sticks with you uh, on a second or third watch. Rachel, what did you think of People's Court? First of all, I literally had written down in my notes everything that you and Gabby just said. I have brain down, ass up. The um, he gets he gets paid to give blood, feel the memories blow away, and the pronunciation of Simpson. So completely in agreement that those are the key moments of this. I also love that Punky's character was. Janiel White. I don't know if that was a throw to Jillial White. And then we have Solomon, who's Urkel. I mean, that's very much of an era um, that I'm part of. But um, I don't know why it was such an Urkel-heavy episode. But when I first saw this set and I saw it was people's support, I wasn't that thrilled. I felt like, oh, we've been here. We've done this. But then like the, the twist with the head, I think where this sketch lost me was the end. I felt like it's just the last line with Keenan going to Chili's, was it, for two for two or something like that, just kind of ended. I felt like what should have happened was that he turned and he also had the had the hole in his head, right? Like that would have been the way to or, to finish it off. Um, it just was so abrupt that I kind of was like, what? what? What did we just see? And that's kind of why the sketch lost me. There were so many great moments, so many great lines, but as a concept, I wasn't all take all that taken by it. And it also felt like, I, I think this was t- um, spoken about on the Hot Take show, it felt like a very Sher- Sarah Sherman concept. And the fact she wasn't part of, that she wasn't part of it was a little bit of a shocker as well. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, that's, that's very interesting. Uh, yeah, the, the gore of it wasn't too over the top. So maybe that's why Sarah didn't <laughs> end up in this. But uh, Haskell, what did you think of uh, People's Court? Yeah, I just got to say it again, that when the wind blows, I feel my memories 
blowing like that was the line of the night. That was great. I loved that. Um, Rachel, did it play any differently? Address like that's how it played. Address the, the because my uh, my thought, especially with the abrupt ending, was that felt like a sketch that was getting chopped up as the night went on and was missing some stuff. Uh, I actually went like this to myself when it, I thought it was getting cut right when I saw it. <laughs> Because I was like, what was that? And it, it did take a few watches. I think I had to watch it more than three times before I started appreciating all the lines. Yeah, I do think if you go back and watch that sketch, there's a lot of lines that you might have missed and, and it'll grow on you. I just felt like in general, that was a sketch that had a, it was a big swing and it was just missing something. Like, I think it was missing a little bit of Sarah Sherman in there and something to like, turn it up to 11 right at the end. like. Somebody having like a, a worse like wound or something. Um, it just to go with like an SNL to go with like bloody sort of gory body humor, but not go all the way. I don't know. Sometimes it that's where you cap your sketch at like a C plus B minus, and that's where this one landed for me. Yeah, that's fair. Now, I, I have a trivia question for all of you. Uh, we'll see. Uh, 100 points will go to the one who wins this. When was the first time SNL did a people's court sketch? Hint, it was a long ass time ago. Season six. Close. Season seven, Eddie Murphy as Velvet Jones. And they've, they've done it a couple other times. They famously did it with uh, Lovitz as the devil in season 12 um yeah this this is one of those things like jeopardy or family feud that's just kind of been around the show for 45 50 years uh pretty interesting to see it come back in this form uh but i i feel a lot the same that you guys do like this was okay not a lot of escalation and that's what we are craving for something like this right um so what i want to talk about is the dune popcorn bucket so uh you know, I, I said it last week on the on the roundtable. Uh, so grateful to have Stephen Castillo back in the building. Uh, he did bowling uh, in that first episode that we came back, and then uh, last week, um, now it's escaping me what he did last week. But uh, he he's just been on fire, and to have his voice back on a, a, a pre tape, a music pre tape like Dune Popcorn. Uh, he, if you don't remember, he did stuff like Stew with Pete Davidson and NFT. Uh, and it kind of got into the pop cultureness of the week. Uh, this was everywhere on all the socials this week when uh, the movie theaters showed this horrendous Dune popcorn bucket that looked similar to some kind of body part. I'm not really sure what we're going to say about that, but uh, but yeah, I mean, it opens with Marcelo, uh, you know, in love with Io, and they're talking in the cafeteria, and the guys are kind of chiding him. Oh, the parents are out of town tonight. Goes home, lights the candles, pours the wine, and of course he's going to be intimate with this popcorn bucket instead of Io. Uh, and it, it just kind of goes from there. Uh, we we say it a lot, like SNL can't be the first to pop culture anymore, but they can find a funny take like this. Um, it's okay that it's four or five days later. So, uh, Gabby, let's start with you. What did you think of doing popcorn bucket? Well, the first time that I watched it, I had no idea that this was a real thing. And so I was just very confused as to why SNL would create this um, 
food device um, <laughs> and create this song around it. Um, but then I, I missed it originally, um, like in my first watch, but there is a line that says this is a real thing. Um, and then after I looked it up, it's like, okay, no, this definitely is a real thing. So I was able to appreciate it a little bit more. It didn't make it any less bizarre for me. Um, just all around as to why it was created. And also, I mean, I, I liked the song. I liked the melody. I just didn't really get that this was, I guess, what came forth from <laughs> the, the Dune pop, uh, popcorn bucket, like this kind of slow ballad. Um, but I did appreciate uh, the kind of attention to detail, like when Marcella's character was pouring the champagne, there was a little glass like stuck to <laughs> the popcorn bucket that was kind of tilted so that they could toast together. I like things like that. Um, but yeah, I it it wasn't a big like hit for me. <laughs> so so you haven't been singing popcorn bucket all week. Is that what I, you're telling me? It has not become an earworm yet. <laughs> There's still time. <laughs> yes, there is. Uh, Rachel, what did you think of doing Popcorn Bucket? So I have to admit there have been moments this weekend where the song has been running through my head. <laughs> this was one of my favorites of the night. I think that the pre-tapes were a definite highlight this week. And this I, I mean, I, I guess thanks to the YouTube algorithm, I was aware of it that morning when it showed me the Kimmel, um, Kimmel segment where he showed it to the cast of Dune and none, none of them would touch it. So I was like, what is this? Is this real? So I literally hours before this episode learned about it. So I was howling when the reveal came. I mean, I just thought it was, I feel like SNL does two things best. It either takes something that's so now and makes it ridiculous or it makes something that's like very, very evergreen. And I think this was, of course, that first camp. And I also just, when the beginning, when uh, Marcelo and Aya were having their moment, I thought we were going in the direction of a Marcelo and Jenna Ortega sketch. Like it was going to be like a sweet teen romance. And I was already excited. This is, I used to be a teen magazine editor. This, that would have been right up my alley. And, but then with the, tw I think the hint, if we were to look into foreshadowing, would have been that Bowen was also there. Cause I felt like, cause at first I was like, thought they're all the younger cast members. Like why isn't Longfellow at the table too? But I think they needed Bowen to do what he did later. And I was like, Oh, that was the hint that this is going to go off the rails. And then just like the way Marcel looks out the blinds. I don't know that moment just really, I was like, I know this is going to be one of my favorites. And the last line was just so dumb and direct as if you didn't get it the whole time. But yeah, it was so needed. And I was like, let's just spell this out for you. Um, so I just thought all the little details were so great. There are actually a lot of cast members tucked in there as it went on. Like there was the whole JJ was in there too, right? She was, he was dad to Chloe Trost. Of course, the Longfellow and the Butter was just a stupid but amazing part of it. I just loved every bit of it. It was just a great way to take something that's so ridiculous in pop culture world right now and make it even more ridiculous. Yeah, imagine trying to explain this to somebody 10 years from now. That's going to be very interesting. Like, no, that was a real thing. See, they even say it in the song. Uh, Haskell, what did you think of doing Popcorn Bucket? Yeah, the only thing I really disagree with is I sometimes I'm not a fan when SNL comes out and it's like, this is a real thing. Like 
to me, that's what underscores like the you're late to the party. Like just come out and and embrace the fact that this is what everybody's on late night or whatever's been talking about for the week to come out and say like, hey, this is a real thing. And I bet you didn't know it was a real thing. Like, yeah, there's going to be people who are like, yeah, I didn't know what that was. But I think for the majority of the audience, they're like, yeah, we know it's a real thing. I, I, I've been on social media all week. Like, I know it's a real thing. So sometimes that kind of is like, eh. Um, the song hasn't been an earworm for me because I don't think it's going to be. I don't think that was a particularly strong SNL song. And you know when SNL has a strong song, like, that is going to stick with you. I don't think it was the strongest uh, song in the world for a sort of song about sexual appeal and lovemaking. Uh, I was surprised no J-Lo cameo. Uh, I would have thought that she probably would have fit into there. Maybe she was feeling a little self-conscious about her singing abilities because Aya was there. I don't know. Um, I thought the jokes, in the, in the, I guess that's the important thing. The jokes hit better than the song did. And I guess at the end of the day, that's important. Yeah, it was a run-of-the-mill sort of pop culture meets uh, running a song sketch for me. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, yeah, there there were so many little moments with with all the different cast, as you guys have mentioned. Uh, Longfellow getting that butter will stick with me. Like it's just, <laughs> it's just insane. Uh, not even getting a line in the song, but uh, having a moment. Uh, so, okay, we, we've talked about the sketches uh, that we wanted to talk about. Uh, let's go around one more time. Is there anything else you want to talk about from the show? Haskell, why don't you start us off? Um, wow, I'm going to double dip on J-Lo for a second. The uh, Why'd You Say It sketch, I think, was a was a smart way. Uh, it's a sketch that's that's kind of become evergreen, right? So they could come back to that and the way social media is – you know, they come back to that, but it made sense after a little bit of controversy. I don't think it, I don't think it was a big thing, but I, being on a podcast a few years ago, questioning some of JLo's career and success and all that sort of stuff. So it was a great way to face that head on, um, especially early in the night. But this is SNL. This is where people come face to face. If you were going to address it, Put J-Lo on camera with it. Like, have J-Lo show up and be the one to question why. Like, that's what I was expecting. I thought at some point, you know, that J-Lo was going to show up and be like, I'm the new host of the show. Why'd you say it? Why'd you go on a podcast? And that would have been, like, a great moment. Just sort of kind of half acknowledging it was a good way to be like, all right, see, we're done with that for the night. They're both good. They're here. There's no hard feelings. That's That's fine. So that's a fine way to do it. But I think you left a little meat on the bones by not having J-Lo show up. Yeah, I, I think that's true. Uh, th these sketches are always going to work for me because it's it's such a mindfuck when you see things online. And it's the most innocuous thing, whether it's about, you know, a, a baseball game or a movie. And, and people taking the time out of their day to shit on something that they have no... Never heard of them. You know, like, like there's always something and it doesn't make any sense. Like it's not political. It's not, you know, divisive. It's just there. And these people have nothing better to do. These keyboard warriors than to go on and say something ridiculous. So I love these sketches and I hope they do more of them. Not every week, but Gabby, what did you think of this? 
Yeah, I thought it was enjoyable. I um I agree that I think that it would have been great if J Lo made an appearance. Um, I had I didn't watch the show live, but I did find out about um the the comments that Io made like years ago. Um, I guess on Saturday, and so I was wondering if um when I was watching it, enough people would have known about the context for that joke and so that was one of my like if you're like chronically online like I am I guess you would but that's not everyone who watches SNL Uh, but the reaction from the audience um, kind of showed me that I guess that enough people knew about it for for them to I guess appreciate the comment Um, but I yeah I thought that the sketch overall was pretty fun I do like that they that little joke they made about um, about Chloe Feynman's character who posted a non-clickable link in an Instagram comment because I see that all the time and it just it just baffles me. Like, do you think people are going to painstakingly <laughs> like, type this into their mobile web browser? Um, so I thought that was fun. I think the "What disease he have?" <laughs> was <laughs> was the the best joke in the sketch for me. Um, and yeah, I I do wonder. Um, how J-Lo would, I guess, has responded to this or like how she feels about this peculiar situation because it's not like real drama, but it was just, I guess, enough for people to be aware of it and speak about it for like 24 hours. And so I, I do wonder if maybe she was approached to be in the sketch, but decided not to because of certain optics. I was also just as a decide, um, after you know, I did the the thank yous and stuff at the end, um, looking to see if maybe they would hug, and they did not. <laughs> um, and so I just, I mean, I this is all I I don't know what's going on in the in the J Lo sphere, but it's just you know just something that I was wondering about. Yeah, that is something you definitely have to have to wonder if they had a moment anytime during the week uh, to. To talk about this, uh, if it is something that was even on JLo's radar, yeah, I, I wonder about that as well. She's a busy uh, woman. <laughs> she is, yeah. She's watching Ben's uh, Duncan commercials. She doesn't have time for her. Uh, Rachel, what did you think of this? I mean, I think of the fact that we're all talking about the JLo part of it just shows that maybe the sketch itself like was done only for this one line. Like when I saw it and saw there were two game show sketches i thought for sure this was going to be cut but as soon as i later understood why it was done it almost felt like they did this whole sketch just to have the apology and the fact if i have my facts right that whole the podcast of ios wasn't unearthed until february 1st so that would have meant that they either pulled this together real quick or did a quick 180 which i'm not quite sure how it all came together but I went back and watched the original, Why Did You Like It? Was that the only other one I think there was? Why Did You Like It? Yeah, uh, I, with Jake Gyllenhaal. Yeah. And, yeah. I didn't realize how beat for beat it was. Like, it was literally, it was one of those, like, David S. Pumpkins, literally, uh, uh, it wasn't just the concept. It was the same sketch with new lines. So, in a way, I can appreciate this, but I don't think this was the sketch that I needed a sequel in that way, which leads me to believe it must have been a, a way for Io to apologize. But like you guys are saying, 
this was 2020. JLo had no idea in 2020 who Io was. She wasn't aware of this back then. I did like how specific Io was. What she said, and you're just 24 because I did the math, and she was 24. So I mean, like you're 24, you run your mouth or whatever it was. So I mean, we know. I mean, it was a sketch for a reason. I don't know if it's a sketch we needed as a sketch. Could it have just been a quick line? Could it have been a throwaway in a monologue? I don't know. Fair enough. Yeah. Gabby, is there anything else from the show that you want to mention? Um, I just wanted to give a shout out to um, CJ Rossitano, uh, Colin's long lost son, who made an, a fantastic appearance. I thought that Sarah was amazing in this role. I just love these. I, I love it whenever um, they make Colin kind of make fun of himself in like more absurdist ways. And I thought that this was, this was great. Um, yeah, there are just so many, so many jabs at him that he just <laughs> took on the chin. And I just, yeah, I, I could go through them, but I'll, <laughs> I'll let you guys <laughs> talk about it. Cause I, I don't know. I just thought it was really fun. And, and the, like dedicated camera angle, that kind of like eighties glamour superimposed esque shot with cats in the cradle. I thought that, that was really fun. And just, I, even though Sarah kind of broke continuously throughout it, um, I thought that it, it still kind of like added to the whole vibe and the energy. And it just seemed like they, they had lots of fun doing it and I enjoyed watching it. Yeah, and now now that we've seen Sarah do other characters other than Sarah News this year, uh, you can really kind of point to the chemistry that her and Colin have. Like we knew that from Sarah News and her bashing him, but now that she's brought a couple other characters out, it's really really interesting to see uh, the way they play off of each other. And it doesn't always have to be about Colin being a racist or anything like that. It could just be that he's a, a, a deadbeat dad, right? I mean, <laughs> Rachel, Variety. what did you? Yes, exactly. <laughs> Rachel, what did you think of this one? I think this sketch just or this uh, bit just made me really appreciate Colin more than I had. I mean, Colin was my early favorite. He probably was my first favorite cast member. Still is obviously, because I love the Mulaney episodes and the Mulaney musicals, and he and Mulaney wrote those. I just always have loved his sensibility. But I think what I appreciated for the first time in this with this um, character of Sarah's was that I didn't quite, I never think of him as a particularly strong actor, but the way his expression was in those close-up shots, it was like he was just so subtle. And he was, but there was also like just the right amount of all the things you wanted in his face, the awkwardness plus the maybe it's me, maybe it's not. Like, I just felt like he really, he, he, I love that he takes those, um, let's just roast him. I just, I love anyone roasting him, but especially Sarah roasting him. And I think that this was a different way for him to do, to, for him to take her, her jabs. And it was just such, done so brilliantly. I also love that they had the identical outfits Minus the NBC badge of all things, because as if an audience member gets an NBC badge, as if they're like checking them in the system that um, that much so. So that was kind of a funny thing that I didn't feel like they needed to do. <laughs> yeah, that that was a little and and the whole like getting tickets part was a little as someone who's applied for 34 years and not never gotten in <laughs> NBC. Uh, uh, yeah. 
what, what was the point? Did Colin get the tickets for CJ? Did CJ just kind of sneak in? Uh, I need to know more. I need more plot here. So, <laughs> Asko, what did you think of this one? Well, as somebody who has won tickets three times, kiss the rings, Bill. Uh, I, I actually, I, that was the only slight disappointment for me is it felt like a earlier in the season when they started talking about, you know, sketch statistics and all of us who are part of this community were like, are they going to mention us? Like there was a moment of like, oh, this is going to be cool. Like SNL talking about the fan perspective. And there's so many of us in this community who know people who are like dedicated standby line people or people that get tickets. Like this would have been cool. Obviously that didn't happen at all. So that was the slight disappointment, but man, Sarah Sherman has so much fun at that update desk. Like you can just see it. You can feel it. I did kind of love the, I, you know, for a minute, like you had to piece it together for a second. Like, wait, what is she? She's a fan of the show. Like, okay. Is she like a super fan of Collins? What? And then you're like, oh, CJ, Colin Jr. Like, it pieced together real quick, and then you get that, like, parent trap sort of, uh, you know, movie moment of, like, wait, that's my mom and stuff. And then uh, I do love how you said, like, yeah, not all of these have to come back to Colin being a racist. Yeah, they, they sometimes they can just come back to his favorite food being cocaine. Like, sometimes they tone down how they attack uh, Colin, but... Yeah, that was uh, one of the highlights of the night for me, too. And them both thinking that Sarah has a dump truck of an ass amigo. Like, that was <laughs> fantastic. Uh, Rachel, do you have anything else you want to talk about from uh, Saturday night? Uh, before I forget, just to add to that, I'm pretty sure in dress, they had the thing they did with cocaine being said at the same time that Sarah also asked who their who his favorite cast member was, and they both said Sarah at the same time. I think they both said Sarah at the same time, which was cut, obviously cut. I hope I'm remembering that right. Um, Ellis, you can check me. <laughs> Shout out to Ellis who brought me into this whole whole, whole world. Thank you, Ellis. Um, my other one I wanted to talk about was the elevator, which I don't think we've hit on at all. Um, I love this concept, and not just because I've been trying to write a book with the same title and same concept for 20 years, but... Um, <laughs> But it just wasn't where I thought it was going. And I think that's what made it so wonderful. Like, yes, you're always, I feel like every time you get in an elevator, especially in New York City, where you're just with this like motley crew of people, you're like, what would happen if we did have to talk to each other? Because you're like trying so hard not to talk to each other. And they just skipped the talking and went straight into the who's sleeping with who um, and doing the math. And it's just like the three people wanting to do, be a mailman ridiculousness of that just like completely sold me on it i also have an obsession with the usps but that's another topic so like this was just so ridiculous and it felt a little short like i wanted it it developed a little bit more it the hop to elevator land was so crazy and not expected which was so wonderful. But I also, first of all, how come nobody was actually a mailman? Because I believe that Keenan was in a UPS outfit, not a not not a um, United States Postal Service um, outfit. And I would have expected Ego and Michael of Longfellow to also go into to the elevator world, and they weren't there. They didn't. They didn't take their invite. <laughs> so I was kind of just getting the back rows. Like they've got to be back there, right? And I don't. I hope I didn't miss them, but I just was like, they got the invitation. But 
Sarah as Marilyn Monroe is also just, I mean, that, oh, she was just embodied Marilyn so well in the like split second we got. I wanted a little bit more, not a lot, but a couple more seconds of elevator land, elevator town, elevator world, elevator town, I think. Elevator town. Yes. Town. <laughs> yes. Haskell, what did you think of uh, Stuck in an Elevator? Well, Rachel, as it relates to your book, um, in your time putting your book together, did you ever think maybe you could write one of the characters to be like claustrophobic when they don't hook up? Like, I think maybe that was the missing ingredient to the book is you need people who really wanted to hook up. Um, yeah, I, I like the best part of her jumping right to like, I'm going to want to hook up was great. The mailman thing was great. Only in a community like this and on a podcast like this, you could have multiple people that did notice that he is not wearing a USPS. He's wearing UPS. Like, that's great. Like, that's why you tune into a show like this. Um, but I echo the same thing. Like, I don't think I needed the jump to the world. I wanted it to continue to build. I wanted more of, like, Longfellow jumping in, being like, we're going to save you. Like, progressing more on, like, what are you talking about? We're going to get you guys out of here. And like, I, yeah, I just wanted a little bit more of that. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, Gabby, what did you think of this? Yeah, I, I liked it. I also felt that it was quite short. It kind of ended. I mean, obviously was not expecting the fantastical land um, to actually be rendered in front of our, our very eyes. But I, um, I, I thought that, it could have maybe done a little bit more. I do love that um, Io and Bowen were just kind of like, you know, bouncing off of each other there. I'm glad that it was the two of them who um, were pushing this kind of hookup um, elevator culture upon everyone else. Uh, one of the, I, I liked, um, I think it was Io who, who pointed out the ratio of men to women and said something about like, no, Bowen said that there is um, enough food for mouths. I don't know what that means. I don't think I want to know what that means. I might not be visiting Elevator Town anytime soon, but I did think that was hilarious. Yeah, there were there were some decent lines in this, uh, and you guys have all touched on them. Uh, yeah, you almost want to see this expanded and and maybe uh, see it a second time, but I don't know that you get the same uh, reaction. But th this was definitely a highlight of the night. Uh, okay, so why don't we get into the MVP of the evening? Uh, I'm going to go around and ask what who you think your top three uh, MVPs would be of this episode. Uh, Gabby, why don't we start with you? I think the MVP for me, I'm kind of torn between, I, you know, I think I'm just going to go with Io. <laughs> yeah, I think, um, yeah, like the Solomon and the, the people support things like that. I think that she really stood out for me. So that's, that's my vote. <laughs> How about second and third? Who would you have? Um, I think that I would have maybe Marcelo for the Dune pre-tape. And um, I don't know. Bowen. I think Bowen is pretty solid. <laughs> Fair enough. Rachel, how about you? I was going to go Bowen, but now that Gabby mentioned Marcelo, maybe I need to switch to Marcelo. Between the um, the meet-cute and the um, Dune, I mean, those were two standouts of the evening. I think, was he on anything else? It was just those two, right? Or 
am I missing of his? But two stand two standouts. I mean, the, both those moments were definitely my fa- among my favorites. I do think Bowen between the elevator and also that sketch um, had had um, some great moments. And I'm tempted to say Keenan, even though it seems boring to say Keenan, but he was an almost every sketch or he was a ton of sketches and just had a quick moment and does what he does best. Yeah. Bowen, Bowen was also in the drug sketch. Uh, thank you, Freddie. Right. Uh, right. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, Haskell, how about you? Uh, number three, we didn't talk about him a ton tonight. Bill, you mentioned him, but I think Mikey day was just doing Mikey day stuff. Like, you know, offensive coordinator type stuff, like facilitating all that sort of stuff. Uh, number two, I'm going to go with Dismukes. I thought he had a really, a couple of really good appearances. Uh, and was kind of, he, he popped up in a few different places. Uh, but the MVP is IO. Like she had the best, some of the best, she had to me the best couple of lines of the night. She got to show some character work at the end. Um, I don't typically, I'm not like a host is usually the MVP because usually they're the ones being propped up, but I don't think she needed anybody to prop her up tonight. So, or the other night. So uh, yeah, I'm going with uh, her as my MVP. Yeah, I think I'm going to have to do IO at number one as well. Uh, uh, I'm going to put Ago at number two. I think uh, she had a fantastic night, uh, played so well with IO. And then I'm going to do Keenan at three. Uh, he, we, we talked about this a little bit last week, but uh, he, he's been at a little bit of a cold streak. So to see him in seven sketches, to really have some moments between being the judge, the janitor, uh, Charles Barkley, uh, uh, he, he's going to be my third. So. Uh, let's see what the fans chose for MVP. And we have uh, Io at number one by a commanding lead, much different from last week's uh, very tight race. Uh, Sarah Sherman at number two with 13%. Ego with 12%. Uh, Dismukes at six and Keenan at four. So sounds like a, a lot of agreement between the fans and what we've talked about here tonight. Okay. So let's get into this. Uh, we, we've got a couple weeks off. We've had uh, kind of ended on a high note with IO. Uh, and uh, when we come back on February 24th, uh, we are going to have former SNL cast member for 15 minutes, Shane Gillis. Uh, now, if you don't know, which I think most people do, uh, he was fired before his very first episode uh, for comments that he had made on a podcast. Uh, much worse than what he said, what uh, Io said about JLo. And uh, he was called to task and SNL was killed in the media because they hadn't done their research, hadn't looked back to see. Uh, since that time in 2019, I believe, is that right, Haskell? Um, he has gone on to have a prolific stand-up career. He's apologized, uh, but he is also still problematic and, and has had other moments where he's said things that aren't really 2024 appropriate. So, Haskell, I'm going to start with you on this one uh, as a stand-up yourself, uh, as someone who who probably has to thread a line quite a bit with what you say and how you say it and knowing that people are watching. Um, what do you think of the booking of Shane Gillis coming back to SNL? Thank you for going to me first, Bill. I, you know, as the, you know, finally someone's getting a white guy's opinion on all of this stuff. Uh, you know, I, 
I am not here to tell anybody how to feel, especially as it relates to comments that can be offensive to somebody. Like I don't, you know, I, I'm not here. I'm not. Yeah, I do stand up. I do a lot of stand up. I appreciate the freedom to be on stage and tell jokes and hope that people understand that they're jokes. Um, as somebody who spends a lot of time on a podcast, this podcast, um, and has a career outside of this podcast and outside of standup where the words that I say online could be taken very seriously. Um, I understand the difference between being on stage and telling jokes and all that sort of stuff. So that that's my long way of saying, I don't really, if somebody wants to disagree with me, I fully support that and that I'm not here to talk for everybody. Um, as it relates to Shane Gillis, the most disappointing part of all everything that's happened with Shane Gillis on his time on SNL, his refusal to apologize at the time, um, you know, a very sort of tongue in cheek uh, resignation letter or message, um, all of that stuff is that I do think Shane Gillis is a very talented stand up and is a very gifted sketch performer. I think some of the material that he's put out online uh, in terms of sketch can be very funny. I think he finds very good hooks on things. I think where there is an alternate universe where he is now into year four or five of doing Trump on SNL and doing a very good job of it. Um, so there's that. I don't, I'm not here to argue with any single person in the world who wants to say that it's inappropriate, that you don't agree with SNL doing it, that it's not fair or not doing right by Bo and Yang, especially because of that's what sort of brought it up in the first place, that they were hired on the same day, all that sort of stuff. I'm not here to argue with anybody about that. I'm just saying on a different perspective, I do think he's a very talented comedian and that he has the chance to put on a very funny show. On top of that, and this might this is the part where it might come off controversial. I don't mean to, to be that person. I there's a very small part of me that likes that SNL is still up for a bit of a fight. Even if that fight is within the building. Like there's a small part of me that's like, it's SNL. It's supposed to be at its core a little counterculture. And what counterculture is has changed a little bit. I'm not saying like, oh, so you're defending what he's saying is counterculture. No, I'm just saying it, it's a risk to bring him in. And there's a small part of me that kind of likes that SNL still almost 50 years in has the energy to take that risk. Well said. Uh, Gabby, uh, let's get your thoughts on uh, the booking of Shane Gillis. Yeah, so I haven't been following him. So I, ever since all of that happened in 2019, I just kind of like forgot that he existed. Um, and when I saw that he was going to be um, hosting next week, my first thought was, that name sounds familiar. Wasn't that the guy who was fired for the racist and homophobic things? Um, that's interesting. And I will say I still haven't, you know, done much research into him because I just haven't cared to. 
Um, but I, I will say it, it should be interesting to say the least, because when I was trying to recall what exactly it was that uh, got him fired, that um, caused the uproar was uh, some of the slurs that he said on that podcast or in his, or that he was recorded saying um, were like anti-Chinese slurs and also homophobic slurs. So I'm very curious, particularly again, because he was hired the same day as Bowen, how, you know, Bowen or any, I guess, minority um, cast member, writer um, of SNL might feel towards this. That's, that's what's on my mind, how they're going to write for him and I guess act with him. Um, I guess everyone could have, you know, their own opinions, you know, of the cast members of, of how they want to approach this, you know, no one's uh, a monolith, you know, but um, I, it, it also made me think about that clip that went a little viral of Bowen and um, Sarah at the, on stage, um, on stage the night that, uh, oh gosh, what's her name? She just hosted Fifty Shades of Grey, Dakota Johnson. Dakota Johnson. Yes. Um, where Dave Chappelle was on stage and they were back in the corner, just clearly not pleased with the situation. So it just makes me wonder, you know, just more conceptually and with, you know, like people like Nikki Haley and stuff on the show, just conceptually how the cast members kind of feel about these decisions. Um, and I guess the say or what little say they have and things like this. So that's just what I've been thinking about more so than the kind of performance that he's going to have <laughs> next week. That's absolutely fair. Uh, Rachel, what do, what do you think about the booking? I was keenly aware of him being fired because obviously I was so excited about Bowen. And then when the remarks were particularly anti-Asian, I, of course, followed it. They've since been scrubbed from the internet. But from what I've seen in writing of that jogged my memory of what it was, I don't remember the apology. I remember the comments. Uh, I'm thinking about this from an HR perspective, if this was any other job but SNL. If you fired somebody and you made that decision that what they did was wrong and you were going to fire them, how would you, in any universe, bring them back just because they had success outside of your company? I can't imagine that going over well in any other business. So it is, I mean, but that said, like you all said, SNL does is a little counterculture. Is this meant to be like an Elon Musk on a smaller level? I don't know. I was shocked in the studio when I sat there and saw his name on the screen. I was like, oh, I must have the wrong guy. I had to, I had to double check with everybody else. I was like, did I really see right? Um, so, and I really feel, I really empathize with Bowen. This has not been a good few weeks for Bowen. From between the Dave Chappelle up, uh, jumping up on stage, and then this week with the Nikki Haley being signed from everyone, and then the announcement of Shane, I would also want to walk out of the office or at least go complain to HR if I were in Bowen's shoes. 
Yeah, it's a very tricky line, and and SNL has a history, a long history of of this. Uh, you know, the Trumps of the world and the Musks, uh, but going all the way back to uh, Andrew Dice Clay and and Nora, not Nora Dunn, not coming into the show that week, and then being killed in that episode by a light, and then basically fired the next week. Uh, hopefully, in the thirty years since then, we've we've come a little bit of a, a, a way from that. Um, I've seen a lot of discourse already that this is like Norm coming back. That's utter nonsense. Uh, he was fired because the president didn't think he was funny. The NBC president didn't think he was funny. It was not because of the OJ jokes. And he came back to host a year and a half later and he killed it. Um, that was not the same thing. He was not controversial in this form. Um, so, yeah, it, it's going to be very interesting to see. Um, are there boycotts? Are there writers who won't write? Like a couple of years ago with, with Chappelle, uh, will, will someone like Bowen decide to sit out the week? Uh, or will he, you know, decide to, to deal with it? Uh, will we get a mea culpa uh, from this guy uh, on live TV? I don't know. But uh, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens. And uh, SNL is, is, is going for the clicks, is going for the views, and they're going to go for controversial hosts. and. That's sometimes a sad fact. On that vein, Bill, can I just say one thing? And I feel like I'm I, I, I'm confident enough to say I do feel like I speak for a lot of SNL fans, especially people that watch it week in and week out. The one thing I don't have patience for this week is the right wing pundits who want to turn around and say, oh, SNL finally realized they have to go anti-woke. They were desperate, so they're getting this guy. And the people that have not watched it, people who never watched SNL, people who watched highlights of SNL, they watched Cowbell but never watched SNL, sitting there saying, oh, finally the show's going to be funny. I haven't watched this show since I was in high school. Finally it's going to be funny. How do you know if you don't watch the show, the quality of the show? That is what I have absolutely no patience for this week at all. Like yeah. I, it, it's already starting online, and as a fan of SNL, for and and I, I really like to believe, and I think that John, uh, has really built a, a culture here where we are SNL fans of of all races, all cultures, all genders, uh, but we're SNL fans and we enjoy the show, and we're not here to shit on the show, and now it this it is bringing in an audience that's ready to shit on the show, and that's kind of disappointing as well. It's very disappointing, and it's it's not completely uh, genuine either. Because I, I actually worked an event last year at, for the baseball team that I work for. Uh, he was on the uh, Bert Kreischer's uh, tour, and I heard his stand up. Uh, there wasn't anything controversial, and he actually shit on the right more than he did anything else. So it, it's it's really interesting, uh, buried beneath all this other stuff that he did wrongly. That he's not a, a, a messiah of the right. Uh, wing of this uh, country. So very interesting points. Uh, so on that note, let's uh, wrap this up. Uh, let me talk about what's coming up. Uh, on Wednesday night, we have By the Numbers uh, with Mike and Victoria. Uh, if John is feeling better, he will also be on that show. So make sure you tune in. Uh, next week uh, is the feedback show with the patrons. Uh, if you want to sign up, go to the Patreon and you can submit your questions and. Uh, and do all that. And there is a fun SNL stories coming up in the next couple weeks before the show comes back live. Uh, John has promised that uh, it's going to be revealed in the patron show on Monday night. So make sure you tune into that. Uh, Andrew Haskell, 
thank you so much uh, for joining me tonight. Where can everybody find you and what you've got going on? Yeah, Andrew E. Haskell on all social media, uh, stand updates all over New England. So check out my socials for that. Bill, it's always great where you were phenomenal tonight on, you know, pinch hitting. That was great. Gabby, great to see you again. And Rachel, a home run. First time with us. Phenomenal. Great job. I mean, and I'm sure Bill will say it, but can't wait to work with you again. Very well said. Uh, Gabby, thank you for joining us. Uh, where can people find you? Um, yes, uh, you can find me on Instagram if you want, but uh, no need to because I don't really post. Um, but my my handle is modestly underscore awesome because I created it when I was in middle school. Um, but other than that, just a pleasure to be here as usual. Yes. Uh, John's not here tonight to make fun of my age, but you saying you made your Instagram in middle school did the job. So thank you for Sorry. that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Rachel, fantastic job tonight. Uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, as Haskell said, I want to echo that. Can't wait to see you on here again. Where can everybody find you? Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me and making this so much fun. I feel like these are the thoughts that go through my head. and It's so amazing to be able to share it with other people. Um, you can find me on Instagram. I'm Rachel S. Chang on Instagram or on, hate to say X, but X, I am just Rachel Chang. And just a fun little project I worked on recently was that um, in my, since I do cover mostly travel, but also pop culture, I did have the chance to interview Chloe Feynman recently and wrote a story for Travel and Leisure about her collaboration with Smoothie Tropical Cafe. But there are some SNL tidbits in there. So look that story up. Very nice. Can't wait to read that. Uh, you can follow me at all the socials at BKLove73. Uh, follow the Saturday Night Network on all the socials at SNL Network. Uh, for Andrew Haskell, Gabby Forbes-Bennett, and Rachel Chang, I am Bill Kenny. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you the next time.